This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who has kilo loads of plastic that he's willing to trade for pumpkin seeds. Here is the captain. I am a man who likes my pumpkin spice. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, we are still sipping on this super American pale ale called Snake Oil from Homestead Beer Company. This is a mildly bitter, crisp pale ale with lots of hops and some notes of mango, passion fruit, and grapefruit to smooth it all out. Over top of pine, garage grade, four out of five bottle caps. And here's some cheers and thank you to people that helped us out with this week's beer run. First up, big cheers to Laura B. in Parts Unknown and also... We have Charlene W., both monthly contributors. And a big We Like Your Jib to Deanne from Boxite, Arkansas. Next up, we have a cheers to Hannah in Paradise, California. And a big shout out to Elise in Denver, Colorado. Next, here's a cheers to Jessica W. in Parts Unknown. And last but certainly not least, we have Christina in Menifee, California. Everyone we just mentioned, they went to our website. That's truecrimegarage.com. They clicked on the donate button and helped us out with this week's beer run. We got a full fridge, and for that, we thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-W-R-U-N, beer run. And make sure you sign up for our new pottery classes. They'll be on Thursdays at 8 o'clock right after hot yoga. And make sure you wash your mats and your gaps before next class. Colonel, that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
Where we left off yesterday, Captain, we were trying to determine if these cases were, in fact, connected to each other. And you go, hey, you kind of come up with the idea that maybe they're not connected. If there was a connection, it's probably between the Bellino case and the Evans case. Why did you make me sit through all three? Well, people from Boardman will tell you, and anybody that has studied this case on the Internet over the years, they know that you can't talk about one of these cases without discussing the other two. They kind of come as a package deal here. We got three youths that are killed in a span of just five years out of an area of Ohio, Boardman, Ohio, with only roughly about 30, 31,000 people. So a very rare occurrence. And it would be uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't speak about all three cases. Again, all three cases still unsolved. And from what we've been told from police is that while they may not be connected, we are still under the impression that if we are able to make an arrest or get information in one case, it may provide information or possible leads in the other cases as well. And all three victims deserve for there to be a spotlight on their case. Correct. And we have a situation here where it's been so many years later, decades later, and we have loved ones and friends and family of these victims that are passing away due to time and they've not received the answer nor the justice that they deserve as well. So we are happy to be highlighting and spotlighting these three cases for you last week. And again, this week. Now we are in our final episode and as promised, we said we would get to suspects, but part of that involves local rumor, local speculation and theories. So captain, which would you like to dive into first? Should we give a roundabout summary of the local theories at the time and the ones that have survived over the decades and then get into the suspects? How would you like to do this? Yes, yeah, so let's start with the theories. So, and I'm sure you have probably heard some in addition to these ones that I'm about to bring up, but the general theories that were going on at the time, again, these could pertain to one case or all of the cases, but the local theories and rumors in the 70s and the ones that have survived till this day are that a priest or priests were involved in one, if not more, of the murders. There's been a brown van story and other mysterious van stories that have lasted the, the last five decades. There's also, of course, in any of these cases, we always talk about the old pervert roundup. So you're going to have your sexual predators and, and local known uh, perverts that would be part of any theory. There's also the quote unquote security guard theory. And I mean, really there was, when you have cases that don't have an answer, we don't have an arrest. They often are going to lead to public speculation. And then let's take that a step for, further. No, let's take it two steps further because we have three murders in total in five years. Of course, there's going to be local speculation and concern and theories. And a lot of these have, again, lasted for now five decades. Well, let's start off with the security guard theory. And we know his name, but it'll make sense why we're just going to call him security guard. And that's for his own protection. Correct. So I'm now going to reference Carolyn's article from porchlightonline.com and she says there was a security guard that worked at a place near brad's house this is where don templeman says that he and brad did spend a lot of time 
Now, it sounds like, based off of her article, that a lot of people in the community thought that he was a very good suspect in at least the Brad Bellino case. And Don Templeman even says that he suspected this man, too, especially very early on. Now, so a little bit of information from that article about this security guard is that he liked to talk to boys, uh, even Brad and Don, when they would come in. He would hang out there and the boys, you know, would come in and look at these rocks and geodes and whatnot, but he would really chat up the youths while they were there. He did have a criminal history, this, and at least according to one boardman officer, this security guard had a, or security officer had a fascination with police and possibly even with younger boys or teenage boys. Now I read up on this guy quite a bit to say that he had a fascination with police is a bit of an understatement. The information that I found that he would go out of his way to brief, to befriend police officers, try to become buddies with them. He even had a, an outfit tailored for himself that very much looked like the local police officer uniform. Yeah. I heard speculation that he actually applied to be a police officer at one point. He did. And not only that, he was, this, this is where it gets even more weird. Okay. So he applies to be a police officer. I don't know what happens there, why he doesn't get the job, what have you. Sometimes they only need so many people on the force, but what he does at some point is he tries to start up his own police department. Which he calls it, he calls it some form, and I'm not going to get into too much of the the details of this, but he does call it like some kind of police outfit, right? Like that's what he's advertising. And basically what he's doing, it's really, when you, when you boil it down, it's really, he's offering, he would have been smarter to call it a security business because that's all it was, was he was going around to local businesses and saying, look, this is our uniform. This is what our car looks like. It basically looked like a police cruiser. And I've been trained as a police officer. I've worked as a security guard for all these years. I'm starting up my own police force. And if your business pays us a monthly fee, we will make sure that after hours, when you your business is locked and closed up and, and not during business hours, we will come around once every hour checking the doors, checking the windows, making sure that your business is safe and secure. Now, mind you, that's not a horrible business plan considering it's 1970s. (laughs) It's the early 70s. We don't have our simply safe security systems. We don't have our ADT security systems uh, like we have them today. And so if you had an area where you thought that, well, my business might become under attack or I could I could stand to lose a good deal of money or property damage. It might be worth it for me to hire this outfit to come around. You know, we do have a police department. We have a very good one based off of the information I've seen and how they investigated both the Bellino case and the Evans case. But that doesn't guarantee me that somebody is coming around once an hour to check on my business. But what's idiotic about it is don't call it a police department. Just call it a security. Right. And and so... I think this plan actually worked because from what I heard, he didn't just run security as far as the rock and gem shop, but there was other businesses in that area that he was known to be a security officer at. So multiple locations, uh, even, and not being able to confirm, but 
possibly even connected to the plaza where that's important. And one of the reasons why this guy became a suspect was there was a security guard, quote unquote, not knowing if it's the same guy that was heavily involved in the Bolino case and, and wanted to know information. And he was a security guard at the plaza. I believe the security guard we're talking about and the security guard at the plaza is the same guy. That is correct. And then what makes him even more interesting as far as our case goes is that he is referenced to the Hollywood, Florida police department as being a potential good suspect for Adam Walsh's murder. And I'm going to read this for you because other than this statement here, I can't find good reason uh, to, to include him in the Adam Walsh story, but this is legit. This isn't something that the Colonel wrote or that the captain wrote here. This is from uh, 1996 at the Palm beach post staff writers. There's a couple of staff writers there that did a, a look back on the Adam Walsh case. And one thing that they list here is potential suspects other than Otis tool who ultimately confesses. And then there's been a debate ever since. In fact, if in fact he was the one that killed Adam Walsh, but one of the suspects listed here is our quote unquote security guard that we're talking about from the Youngstown Boardman, Ohio area back in the seventies. He's referencing this thing from 1997 that says last August. So 1996 last August. So 1995 is when these reporters are saying Ohio police told Hollywood detectives about this security officer, a prime suspect in the 1972 Ohio murder of a, and here's where, here's where you hate to see them get facts wrong of a 10 year old. Uh, they were actually talking about the Bellino case and he was 12 detectives learned that the security officer was arrested in Florida in 1982, 1983 and 1985 in December of 1995, they went to central Florida to his central Florida home where they believed he lives. They have been unable to contact him. Okay. So whatever sketchy behavior he was up to in the Boardman, Ohio area in the seventies ultimately leads to him moving not just out of town, but out of state. Right. And then they are referencing him in this Adam Walsh case as a potential suspect based off of what the Ohio police department is telling the Hollywood detectives decades later. And this is based off of, they know that sometime after the Boardman cases, he moves to, there's been several states that have been referenced as to where he may have moved to South Carolina being one of them. And then of course, Florida being one of them, because we know that he has arrest according to this statement in Florida, one in 1982, one in 83 and one in 85. So police were hot on him for the Bellino case. And so much so that it sounds like they were warning other jurisdictions that had what they deemed to be somewhat similar cases that were unresolved, unsolved, that, hey, you should be aware that this guy is in your area. He was a good suspect for us all these years ago, and he was in your area at the time of your unsolved child homicide that you have. Well, no, he was also convicted of sodomy in Ohio. Correct. So he was 
convicted of sodomy and in that area where he was a security guard at multiple locations there was a shack or a shed like a work shed he ended up sodomizing a local kid that lived in the neighborhood similar to like the Bellino case then what happens is they're questioning him in the Bellino case and a lawyer says hey look how about you give my client a polygraph test if he passes this test then obviously he didn't do the Bellino murders you have to then drop the charges in the sodomy case. Correct. So the lawyer then sets up a lie detector, but it's all done underneath the the lawyer's supervision. They use their guy. And what I heard from um, local sources was he passed the test and since the police chief, which I don't know why he ever agreed to this, had to then drop the sodomy charges. I heard from, again, from local sources saying that once the local cops reviewed the results of the lie detector based on the way they give live lie detector tests that he would have failed that. Yeah. So let's do a little follow up here before we move on from the security officer. And this is kind of a good news, bad news scenario, but that information that we were just talking about in the Adam Walsh case, well, that was from 1996. So now let's fast forward over 20 years later to an article that ran in the Youngstown Vindicator. The title of this is New DNA Testing Being Used in Effort to Develop Leads into 1972 Murder Case. The body of 12-year-old Bradley Bellino was found in a dumpster behind the Boardman Plaza. Again, this is from 2018, written by John Darnell Jr. And this is some good reporting right here, Captain. This says, more than 46 years ago, from the date of this article, 12-year-old Bradley Bellino left home at noon, apparently walking to the home of a friend, Don Templeman, in Applewood Acres. A criminal complaint obtained by the Boardman News says that about 7.30 p.m. on March 31st, the boy failed to return home. The following day, Debbie Bellino notified police at about 3.20 p.m. that Bradley was missing. Three days later, at 8.02 a.m. on April 4th, employees with Very Bros Trash Company called police saying they found a body in a dumpster behind the Boardman Plaza. Patrolman Glenn Bowers answered the call, and the body was identified as the Bellino boy. A belt from J.C. Penney was found strapped around his neck. The strap bore teeth marks and body fluid, not Bradley Bellino's. This was later discovered on the boy's pants. On April 12, 1972, then Mahoning County Coroner, this is the Dr. Belinky that we've talked about, ruled Black ruled Bradley Bellino's death as the result of strangulation. Dr. Blinky said the interval between the onset of death and actual death was sudden. Death certificate certified by the doctor said Bellino died on April 1st, 1972, around 9 p.m., little more than 24 hours after he was last seen. 46 years later, the Boardman Police Department is using new forms of DNA testing in hopes of developing new leads in the case. The Ohio Bureau of Criminal Identification has already completed some tests and we have sent samples to a laboratory in Virginia for additional testing. This is a statement by Police Chief Todd Worth. Testing done by BCI, which is the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation, or sorry, Criminal Identification, measured results against 
upwards of 700,000 DNA samples in a database in Ohio, as well as against millions of DNA samples in a federal database. Quote, we are now looking at familial DNA to see if we can develop a new lead in the case. End quote. For years, the Bellino case stood dormant until 2001 when the Boardman Police Department revisited the case and could not develop any new leads. Sources suggest a list of at least 20 possible suspects was developed. Quote, only four or five of those people seem to stand out. This according to the police captain. One man who has reportedly been eliminated from the suspect list in the Bellino case, is now said to be living in South Carolina. According to court records, that man was indicted by a Mahoning County grand jury in July of 1971 for the rape of a Boardman boy. His name is given here, but there's no reason to, to give it on our podcast. Right. Former Boardman PD detective Robert Rupp Rupp was one of the guys that worked this case for years, uh, if not decades. He says in this article he was stunned when the indictment was dismissed. This is referencing what you talked about there, Captain. And this is just bizarro stuff. He was stunned when the indictment was dismissed February of 1973. By then, Mahoning County Common Pleas Judge Clyde Osborne was the one that dismissed it. And then we have Dave Hartsock, who says... Our police chief at the time made a deal with the man's attorney that if his client passed a polygraph test, then that indictment would be dismissed. The polygraph test was conducted by Charlie Brunswick of the Youngstown Police Department, according to this article. And that is Rupp who is saying that in the article. Right. But its results were disputed by another Youngstown PD officer. Another source said the polygraph had been arranged by the suspect's defense attorney, who is now deceased. And then we have the officer telling Boardman News and the vindicator that, quote, totally unethical, end quote, according to the officer. So, yes, that is that. Is that. I mean, we have that weird scenario of what you said where the security officer, he is somebody they were very much interested in in the B Brad Bellino case. Based off of the charge he had from 1971 and based off of the recent homicide of the Bellino kid and then being able to connect him to that Boardman Plaza area, Don Templeman's story of, yes, this was an individual that we knew, that we spoke to, that chatted us up while we were at in this rock store, in this geode store. And for whatever reason, I guess the captain or, or the uh, chief at the time must have believed that they were in a can't-lose situation, right? That this is our prime suspect. I'm convinced he did it. There's no way in hell that he's passing a polygraph test. Sure, we'll make a deal with the devil. Right. And if you pass the polygraph, I guess we'll drop this indictment charge. Now, we also don't know the specifics of that sodomy charge. I, I do want to throw something out there. This The detective calling it totally unethical gives us some insight obviously as to his feelings on the case and maybe they did have a good case in that 1971 situation but we also may have a situation where the prosecutor's telling the chief of police look we really don't have anything on this charge so you can't really lose anything if you throw it on the table and wager it against the results of this polygraph because if he fails this polygraph we're going to tear his life apart and we're going to figure out evidence in connecting him to the Bellino case. And ultimately we want to solve the murder 
and and we'll figure it out as we go. Boom, that gets all screwed up because someone at least convinces the judge enough that this guy passed the polygraph and he goes away. He moves away to Florida, South Carolina. Now, in this man's defense, and the reason why the captain and I have chosen not to name the security officer is that based off of this article and other articles that we've seen, when they were working on this DNA, it doesn't match his. The DNA that they have in the Bellino case does not match the security officer. Does that completely eliminate him? Probably not. There's a scenario. There's scenarios where he could be involved and didn't leave his DNA on the victim. Right. But as far as the evidence goes, they have DNA. That's going to be their best evidence in getting an actual arrest and an actual conviction. And that evidence does not lead you to this security officer. But that security officer is still a, a giant pile of shit. Correct. Correct. You know, he's a horrible person. And, and it's sad that they made that deal because then a victim, another victim and his family, they don't get the justice they should have got. And just like the detective said in that article, totally unethical. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 
5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com TCG. That's mintmobile.com TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back, you beautiful people. Don't be a shitbag. Don't be. That's my recommendation for I'm the week. Put that down in my notes and remind myself. Keep that mask on. A couple Colonel. times a day. Uh, cheers to everybody out there. Thank you for joining us in the garage again today, this week. We love you. Don't be afraid to go to the blog and put some questions or information up there yourself after you're done hearing this. Any way to get out of work, right? If you're at work and you're listening to this, don't do what the man tells you. Yeah. Just Spend listen. more time in the garage, yeah. go to the website, order some shirts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Donate we, to the beer fund. There you go. Should we get back to some of these local rumors here, yeah, Captain? Yes, sir. Because some of them I like more than others, and I have some information prepared on some of these, as with others, not so much, because I 
I went sniffing around and didn't find much on a couple of these, but one of the local rumors that has stood the test of time was the priest angle, that either a priest was involved in one of these cases or priests, plural, which is hard for me to say, was were involved in one or more of these cases. Yeah, supposedly there was a local Catholic priest in the area, not, not far blocks away, uh, kind of a flashy dresser, also had a pretty nice car. He came from money, so he wasn't making that money by being a priest. He he had that money from old family money. The rumor was always that he looked at teenage boys in, in a very odd way. On that priest angle, so... I had a lot more information in the Evans case compared to the other cases. I know that we referenced a story last week called 51 Weeks. I recommended that you go to that website and check out the Boardman story that 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 author put together. That story, it tells you up front that it's a fictionalized version of the Boardman murders case. One of the theories that the author puts forward is this priest, these priests that may have been working together, been up to no good, and may be responsible for one or more of the murders. Now, what I could find in the, especially in the Evans case, is that they didn't look at any priest. The Evans case and the Bellino case, they had, if you want to call them suspects, go ahead they had hundreds of names of individuals that they were looking at. Again, we had people in the community that were just calling in going, hey, that guy's strange. Go check him out. You know, a lot of these people came onto their radar with really no information or no actual evidence against them at all. So if you want to call them suspects, if their name appears in the file for somebody that the police looked at, you can call them that. But what I'm here to tell you is there were dozens and dozens and dozens of people that they had their names that they didn't have any evidence on. It was just simply somebody called in with something and the police followed up on it. Out of all of the names that I have been able to view and review myself, none of them were priest. So while you had that local rumor and then you have this fictionalized story that comes out all these years later that kind of continues that local rumor with the priest it doesn't seem like it was anything other than just rumor or an angle. The captain referenced something more specific, which could be a, a, an angle that held a little more weight in one of the cases, or maybe the Bellino and the Evans case. Now, I can say in David Evans's case, while there were no priests that were looked at, there was certainly a pastor that they looked at quite heavily. They spent a lot of time and a lot of resources on this Lutheran pastor. And the reason why they did so was this was a man that really kind of injected himself into not necessarily the investigation. You know, we talk about that so many times with serial killers and these other cases that are out there that these offenders, when police have no lead, they might inject themselves into the investigation. This guy injected himself into the Evans family where he was trying to make a connection with David Evans's father. And the way that this works out is that the person he worked for, and I, I don't know the, I don't want to go through the rank of pastors and priests and things like that. Cause it's something I don't know nor understand, but the pastor that he worked for, this guy was more of like an assistant pastor at the time. That individual was the one that oversaw the funeral services for David Evans. This assistant pastor makes his presence at the funeral services 
but he's not required to be there. And then days later, he writes this rather lengthy letter to David Evans's father telling him, you know, how bad he feels and how he felt some weird connection to the Evans boy and how he followed the case in the newspaper before he was found. And then he was just heartbroken after he was found. And he goes on and on and on. Would it be totally out of character for a priest or a pastor or somebody from a church to approach or write to a family that has just gone through the most horrific life experience that you could imagine losing your child at the age of 12 or 13 and reach out and say, Hey, I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. Right. I, I, I think your boy was something special and that the world is a lesser place because he's no longer in the world. We talked about David Evans's difficulties that he had some of his physical difficulties that he had, that he was overcoming. The kid was an inspiration. Would it be totally out of character for a pastor to say, look, you might be in a very dark place right now. I'm letting you know that when you are ready, you have a home here or you have someone you can talk to here. Maybe the healing can begin here. Maybe we can help with that. Absolutely not. I'm surprised it doesn't happen in every one of these cases that we have reviewed. So on that end, I applaud the pastor. However, some of the police and some of the detectives were weirded out by this guy enough that they did a pretty thorough investigation on him. I will say this, though, Captain. One thing that I found bizarre in having read that letter that he gave to Devin, David Evans's father. Is the lipstick he put on it? No. the I just assumed that would be part of it, right? <laughs> and, and Doesn't the, that come with every the, letter? And the perfume he sprayed on the letter? He references a check or some kind of money that he gave to the Evans family. And again, could just be somebody that's willing to help that kind of seemed a little out of character for for a pastor or a priest i thought but no i don't think that's odd because what they might have done is at like a wednesday service or maybe even a sunday service they they take up a collection for the family that that's not too odd to me so what they do is boardman pd they're so off put by this letter or maybe not off put just doing their due diligence and taking it the extra step and being very thorough with their investigation, they send this letter off to an expert and say, Hey, we can't make heads or tails of this. What do you make of it? And so it takes days, if not weeks for them to get back the expert analysis of the letter. And unfortunately the expert analysis is exactly what you would have come up with captain and what I would have come up with where you read this letter and go, well, on one hand, I can see this guy's just trying to be helpful. And on the other hand, I can, Maybe there's something bigger here. Maybe there's some something evil lurking behind all these kind words. Yeah, the problem with text anytime is that you don't get to hear tone. You don't get to hear the timbre of the voice. And that's exactly what the the uh, analysis was. The result was, hey, this guy could just be very nice and welcoming you to his church and to his parish. Or there's something hidden in all these nice words we can't really tell. So the, the, uh, the expert analysis doesn't really provide much in my opinion that, that any of us else wouldn't have come up with, but again, it's being thorough and it's looking into all the different angles in these cases. And I want that statement. That statement should echo what we were saying last week. Yes. These cases are unsolved. Yes. It's been a long time, but I do not think for a second that it's because of a lack of effort on 
Boardman Police Department's behalf. And I say that, too, because we now know, based off of 2001, they were looking into the Bellino case again based off of that article. We know that they have DNA that is not the victim's DNA in the Bellino case. That's suspect DNA. They are actively comparing that to local, state, and federal databases. They've not found a match. We're now working the familial angle with the DNA and hoping to come up and find our suspect in the Bellino case using that new method and technology. So that's many local rumors, but that's not even the end of it. No, it's not. So there's one, and this is kind of called the old Bob story. So law enforcement discussed other rumors of men in town that people called police to report as possible suspects. There was a, quote, old Bob who lived near Applewood Acres on the corner of Matthews Road and Glen Ridge, who kept cases of beer and marijuana that he'd give to young boys in the neighborhood in return for sexual favors. He was arrested a few times. He has now since passed away, but he was a local suspect at the time. But the police go on to say in Carolyn's article, quote, there were a lot of those types of things out there, end quote. There was a projectionist at the theater in the Boardman Plaza near Isley's Dairy that chased around young boys. There was a pizza shop in at Southern Boulevard in Indianola where a man worked and tried to trade pizza for sexual favors. That better be some damn good pizza. And as far as the brown van that we talked about, right, Don Templeman remembers a brown van. This is Brad's best friend. A brown van following him and Brad around the day that Brad later disappeared. Law enforcement said that there were hundreds of vehicles people reported in connection to Brad's murder, not just the brown van. They go out of their way to reference an orange Corvette. I had seen an orange Charger referenced in a couple of things, as well as other dark colored vans and a red Ford truck. I mean, there's... Just no end to the amount of vehicles that were listed in the Bellino case of possible vehicles of interest. The police are saying none of those tips led to anything but dead ends. But again, a lot of times they're not getting the best of information, right? They're not saying, hey, I saw the I saw the captain driving his uh, psycho Billy Cadillac down the road and here's the license plate. No, they're, they're not getting that. They're getting, I saw a guy driving a brown van or... I saw a a, a mysterious or strange or an odd red truck, you know? And so there's not a whole lot you can do with that other than catalog that information. And then later when you're reviewing your suspects, do your suspects have any ties to vehicles that match those descriptions? Right. And and again, cross-reference some of these rumors because back to the, the priest, like we said, he was known to be a flashy dresser and drive a nice car. Now, what somebody's definition of a nice car, it varies. So did he have some sports car? Did he have an orange Charger? Did he have an orange Corvette? Possibly. But that brown van, I think, is also connected to those local rumors of that treehouse that I was telling you about. Yeah, and the thing that's scary about the brown van is Don Templeman's own words, who He says, look, I've always been and will remain to be suspicious of that brown van to this very day. And he says, you know, I, I remember this van passing us three or four times. 
and he said that he can't help but wonder all these years later, did Brad leave his home and was he then again followed? Now he's by himself, followed again by this brown van. Whoever's in the brown van, however many people, we don't know. They wait for him to get to a dark spot or a spot where they don't think anybody's going to see anything go down and they either offer him a ride or grab him and pull him into the van. What we know about Bradley is that he would accept rides. So if that's connected to the treehouse, if it's connected to this guy that would offer money and other things for sexual favors, that kind of goes with my theory of what I believe happened to to Bradley. And that will bring us to yet another suspect, and I feel fine naming this individual, and it will become clear why here shortly. But this is actually from a Youngstown Vindicator article from January 20th, 1975. So what's going on at that time? Well, we already have the two homicides that took place years earlier. But during this time frame, David Evans is missing. He His body has not been found yet. It won't be found until the 23rd. This article comes out on Jan- January 20th. So we can make the assumption that all of the information in this article, if it's not dated, it was from the 19th or prior to that. So the article reads, may link suspect to two boys' deaths. And as you will hear here that they are still trying to parse out and trying to decipher if we have a situation where uh, some of these deaths and murders are connected. So the article reads, Boardman and Stowe Police are attempting to link the death of a 14-year-old Akron boy whose skeleton was found in Stowe, Ohio, on November 15th with the brutal death of Bradley Bellino, age 12, whose body was found April 4th, 1972. The connection may be a Kent man who is being held in lieu of bond in Summit County for kidnapping a 13-year-old Akron boy there, assaulting him at the Barnett's Motel on November 2nd, and then assaulting him again in Mill Creek Park on November 3rd and stabbing him. The Bellino youth had been sexually assaulted and strangled, He had been missing from home five days. And then they say, found in the woods. Detective Robert Brisbane of the Stowe Police Department said this morning, the body of the Akron lad was found in a wooded area in the city's southeast section. There was no sign of clothing on the boy, and identification had to be made through dental records. Brisbane said, homicide has not been ruled in the Akron death. However, Quote, we're treating the investigation like a homicide, end quote. Detective Steve Belog of the Boardman Police said the two departments began attempting to make the link about a week ago, but were interrupted with the disappearance of another young boy, David Evans. Diabetic son of Mr. and Mrs. Peter Evans was last seen walking home Friday. Brisbane said the Kent man was given a polygraph test, but it proved inconclusive. He said their investigation is continuing, and the Kent man who may have Boardman ties still is, quote, a suspect. This next part of the article is titled, In Custody by November 5th. Authorities have ruled out the suspect in the Evans incident since he has been in custody since November 5th after the Mill Creek Park incident. The body of Bellino... The body of the Bellino lad was found in 1972 when a refuse pickup man went to the rear of the Isley Dairy Store 
to pick up the dumpster. A belt was drawn around his neck and his clothing disarrayed, so his upper torso was partially bare and his trousers below his hips. The individual that they are referencing in this article is clearly a very dangerous individual and somebody that they already had in custody by November 5th. So they're going out of their way to let us know there's no way that this person, if responsible for Bradley Bellino's murder, he could not have been involved in the David Evans murder because we already had him locked up at the time that Evans went missing. Right. Well, essentially, if you look at the the Beard case, the Bellino case and the Evans case, you could take a character like this, somebody that was from a neighboring area that maybe would go to a smaller area to drive around and look for victims. You could make an argument in the Beard case that maybe he wasn't, there wasn't some confrontation from somebody at the skating rink that somebody tried to abduct him and he didn't go willingly and that's what ultimately caused his death. But a character like this could be responsible for all three murders. So the individual that we are discussing is a man named Richard Lawler. Now, he is an interesting one. And I think that not only do we have the police at the time back in 1975 saying, look, we were investigating Lawler for a possible connection to the Bradley Bellino case. All these years later, when you review his known crimes and then apply the suspected crimes that he may or may not have been involved in to that, he certainly becomes an excellent suspect because we know he was active at the time of Bellino's murder. So I'll read a little bit from Cleveland.com to tell you who this Richard Lawler is. And thankfully, he's in prison and he still remains there to this day. It says Lawler's string of crimes began in November of 1974, or known string of crimes began in November of 1974. This, when he was 21 years old, he abducted a 13-year-old boy in Akron and took him to a Salem motel. So you, you're going to hear some of the things that were referenced in that last article that we reviewed in this newer article. And it says... They're offering more detail here, and I apologize for these details. But it says at that motel, he tied the boy up and stabbed him several times. It actually says that he later tied him to a tree and stabbed him and cut the child several times. The boy was still naked at the time. A passing jogger in the park ended up scaring the attacker away, ended up scaring Lawler away. I am of the firm belief, Captain, that Lawler would have murdered this kid had he not been interrupted. Lawler then struck again in September of 1975. This time he this time he abducted a seven-year-old victim from Akron's Kenmore area and took the boy to the woods behind the Akron Baptist Temple. The victim, who is now 50 years old, this article is a couple years old, sent a letter to the police, to the, I'm sorry, the prosecutor's office describing what happened. He told prosecutors that Lawler asked him to help find his lost puppy. Lawler then lured the boy into the woods where he punched the child in the face, knocked him unconscious, stripped his clothes, and was shouting that it was the boy's fault for whatever Lawler was doing to him and that he would have to kill him. Lawler then choked him unconscious again and left him in the woods for dead. Now, what we have here, Captain, is these are a couple of attacks that this man, he was very much a young man at the time in the mid-70s, these are some attacks that he committed and the victims got away. 
Now, if, if I say, if I would encourage all of you to go to block parole.com, it's a website that we've referenced before here in the garage block where you can sign up and sign the petition to uh, encourage the state of Ohio to block individuals parole. And specifically, I would recommend that you sign up to block Richard Lawler's potential parole. My understanding is that uh, the last time he came up for possible parole, he was denied and his next hearing, I believe, or possibility will be 2028. Don't quote me on that. I don't have it in my notes. But at the end of the day, what we learn about this individual is he he has killed. He has killed a, a young boy that would fall into very similar victimology to some of the boys that we've been talking about in the Boardman case. We know he was active in the Youngstown area at the time with abduction, with rape, sexual assaults, murder, what have you. And again, the victimology seems to line up with that of the Evans boy and the Bellino kid. And so he is someone that I think is an interesting potential suspect. We do have prosecutors that were at his uh, parole hearing that did tell everyone, hey, this guy, after we locked him up for one murder and for all these other assaults that he did, he told law enforcement that he has killed five or six other kids. Now, we don't know if that's true, obviously, or they would have convicted him of those cases. He told law enforcement that this was not his only murder victim. And again, we know he was active in this general area around this general time. So I think he falls into a good suspect and double down that we know he was looked at in 1975 for the Bellino murder. So he was somebody that was on their radar. And luckily for all of us, he's been locked up ever since. Well, and you have to take his claim serious. And the reason why is what we've learned through the last... 500 and some episodes is normally serial killers are not going to admit to child murders. Now you got this guy that you locked up and you convicted on a child murder and he's telling you, Hey, I've, I've killed more children. Yeah. And one thing I don't want to add more scary elements to already a scary story here, but pictures of Richard Lawler from the mid seventies, when we have these pictures because he was in court facing these charges, his picture was taken by the papers at the time. And of course, when he was arrested as well, he is a young looking dude. And I know that he's 21, 22, 24 in, in all the pictures that I've reviewed. He is a young looking dude. And what I mean by that and why I think that's scary, especially in the Bellino case, where we have a kid that was known to hitchhike again, that's just my theory. We don't know that that's what happened. But we have a kid that was known to hitchhike, admittedly by his parents and friends. If a guy pulled up and he looked like a teenager, offered somebody a ride, I think that I think that lets your guard down a little bit. It's less threatening. Yeah, look up pictures of Richard Lawler. Go, you don't have to go to blockparole.com, sign that petition. You'll see pictures of him there, and block his parole. And I tell you what, if this guy pulled up, even if he was 23, 24 at the time, he could have passed for sixteen or seventeen even behind the wheel of a vehicle offering a ride to somebody else. Another suspect where his known crimes are similar and that kind of characteristic, his profile, that kind of person could be responsible for all three murders. Let's get into another suspect. Well, yeah, we're going to go from one really scary, terrible, horrible person to just another demon that happened to be roaming 
this country. And this is a man named Wayne Chapman. Now, some of our true crime friends out there will know this name. Others, this might be a, a newer name to you, but this guy is a serial child sex offender. Okay. This is an individual that committed sexual acts against children time and time again, repeatedly throughout the course of his almost entire lifespan. He started assaulting other kids when he was just a kid himself, and it carried on well into his adult years, and I believe if he wasn't locked up, he was looking to assault children. Was he a murderer? That's certainly up for debate, but this is an individual that was highly involved in in producing child pornography and selling it to other individuals. He was also... He was also busying his time trying to lure children away and he was he had a preference he had a preference for boys and as far as I could see all of his known crimes were against boys. Now, he was an individual that was locked up for a decent amount of time. He does get charged at some point and the reason why he pops up on the radar is based off of again proximity to Boardman, Ohio. And also his admitted information that he gives to police what we have here captain is a situation he's driving he had this van and i don't want to give a description of this van because i've been given a few different descriptions of this van and supposedly he used the same van for years and years and years and i don't want to throw it out there not knowing which one is more accurate Uh, i have two kind of different descriptions of this van but what i do know is that at some point he's pulled over and when he's pulled over the police officer notices a bunch of strange pictures inside this man's van. And these are pictures of him with boys. And these are, there are dozens of these pictures. Well, again, hashtag ban the van. And I believe it's also possibly other individuals whose faces were not. So he ran around in these rings, these child perpetrator, horrible offenders, He ran around with some other guys that were into the same things that he was into. And so when they arrested him, they ended up charging him with a local crime. And this took place in another state when they arrested him. However, when they find all these dozens and dozens of pictures, they're going, how many horrible things has this guy been involved in? And when they start talking to him, they're like, you know, we want to know where you've been, what you've been up to, uh, especially since you've been an adult, because I believe he was kind of a a younger adult at the time, maybe thirties when he got arrested again, this case is so big and there's so many notes. I'm, I'm failing to find the the piece of information that I wanted to be able to spout here for you, but well, don't worry, your pay will be deducted. Thank you. And I know that he has ties to many other States. We're talking Rhode Island, New York, Pennsylvania, possibly Illinois, I mean, it's Ohio. It's all over the map. Now, what I did was I ended up hearing this individual. His name is uh, David McGrath, and he wrote a book on Wayne Chapman. Some of you may know Wayne Chapman's name from David's book. Some of you may know Wayne Chapman's name from there was an old case and an old documentary. I believe it was called Have You Seen Andy? And it's about an old disappearance case of a 10-year-old boy from Lawrence who disappeared without a trace in 1976. 
The victim's name is Andy Puglisi. So some of you may have seen that documentary. I believe it's probably about 15 years old at this point, but it's a very good documentary. I recommend it. The documentary claims that Wayne Chapman is the prime suspect in the disappearance of this Andy kid. And it's, I say claims because there are police that say, yes, he's somebody we would look at or did look at, but we don't really know how he came onto our radar. So I don't know how prime of a suspect he actually is, but the documentarian did a great job on piecing together Andy's story as well as possible connections to Wayne Chapman. And then you have David's book, Monster, The Life and Crimes of Wayne Chapman. He goes on to explain again why this guy's a good suspect in this, ca- in, in this case, in this crime, and how he could be tied to others. I spoke with David. David told me that around the time period of these Boardman murders, that Wayne Chapman lived in Oil City, Pennsylvania. Oil City, Pennsylvania is in western Pennsylvania. Boardman, Ohio is in eastern Ohio. For those of you that own a map, you will know that the Ohio State touches the border of Pennsylvania. And so the proximity between Oil City and Boardman, Ohio, it's not a terribly big distance. And the other thing, too. Well, hold on. Let me unfold my map real quick. The other thing, too, is David points out that. Chapman had a lot of ties, not just based off of that statement that he provided to police when he was arrested that, hey, I've been to all these other cities and I've lived and stayed for a period of time in some of these other cities and other states. But David points out in his book that this guy ran around with guys that were in other states that were doing things that that he was doing as well as probably some things that were even worse, if you can imagine, even worse than what Wayne Chapman was doing or was capable of, and that he believes that it's through him creating and producing this child pornography and then selling it to people that he made these connections and these friendships. And so who knows how far and how wide the evil tentacles of this Wayne Chapman monster would span over the course of time and distance. Again, another good suspect. It's, it's the profile of the person. And and, mm-hmm. and initially, I think law enforcement, when these crimes happen, they start looking at people that, that they've already arrested. We've seen this in the Delphi case. We've seen this in the Amy Mihaljevic or, or JonBenet Ramsey. When there's crimes against children, they start looking at who has already committed crimes and who can fit that profile initially and there's a lot of suspects that you could again make a very intelligent argument that could be responsible for all these as long as they were not arrested at the time obviously and i'll tell you what i actually located some of my notes while you were speaking there captain chapman was arrested in new york state in 1976 and it was after that arrest shortly after that arrest that he admitted to sexually assaulting at least 15 boys. And he put those ages between seven and 10 and from locations of Providence, Brockton, Webster, uh, Concord, Norwich, and then in communities in Pennsylvania, New York, and Virginia. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. This case becomes complex because there are three cases. And then the first question is, are they connected? But I, I think we should just we, we probably could talk about this case for another few hours. Let's go case by case and, 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 and go over what you think happened. 
So let's start with the Beard case. So with the Thomas Baird case, I think that it's probably just what police have told us, that that they, they've locked into this theory over the years that he was attacked by a peer or his peers, and that it was probably an unintentional homicide, that he was killed as a result of that attack. And as we said earlier, he's found, later found, and then placed in the hospital. I actually, if, you know, if I had to make wagers on these cases, I actually think that probably all three of them are not connected. If there is a connection, it would be between the Bellino and Evans case. I'm kind of locked in on my thought that Bellino probably accepted a ride or was even looking for a ride on his way home. And he just got in the wrong vehicle and don't, don't anybody come at me and say I'm victim blaming here. Um, I'm just saying that that's what I think happened. And I don't think that he put himself in a bad position. I think that that's just unfortunately what happened. Maybe somebody like Richard Lawler picked him up or somebody like Wayne Chapman or one of Chapman's goon friends picked him up. Or it could be any other weirdo. I I, I see a sadistic nature to the Bellino case where I would believe that a Richard Lawler type would be more likely to have committed that crime. The Evans case is very difficult for me to put an opinion on other than the fact that I believe 100% that this kid was abducted based off of the hat being stomped into the ground, the location in which he was last seen in the time frame. I really believe that somebody grabbed him. There's a chance that given the neighborhood and, and the lay of the land, that it would be, it would be better suited and more likely that two individuals were involved in the abduction of David Evans. Now, were they of the sadistic nature that the, the killer was of Brad Bellino? I don't know. We, because he gets sick at some point and then he dies, he slips into this coma at some point and dies. So we don't know. It's really too hard to difficult and too difficult to decipher what would have happened if that had not happened, would they have let him go? Or would there be no sexual assault at all? It's very difficult to say what took place in that situation. My gut with the Evans thing tells me that someone or some ones may have bit off more than they could chew, right? That they took, they took this kid and maybe they took him for reasons other than murder. And I really wish, I just really wish that this would have been ruled a homicide. I know that the Boardman Police Department treated the investigation as such. But I really wish that this would have been ruled a homicide. I'll start with the Beard case. I agree with you. It's probably an individual or multiple individuals. My problem with it is that if there's multiple individuals, they're more likely to have more rumors. Maybe somebody confesses to being there but not being really a part of it. I believe somebody heard something, whether that's a rumor or a confession. Maybe you're drinking with your friend one night and he confesses to being there. Somebody has heard something, somebody has seen something, yep. and if you saw something, you should be saying something. Enough, you know, enough is enough. Do not protect these people, whether you think it was an accident or not, uh, or, or a situation that just got out of hand. This child died, didn't get to pursue a life. One victim becomes many victims because of his family, friends, and all of his loved ones. So again, I think somebody saw something, they need to say something. As far as the Bellino case goes, 
I think Don's gut feeling about this brown van is correct. And if that brown van is connected to the treehouse and those rumors, I think that makes some sense. Older gentlemen or maybe even uh, uh, late teens offers some booze, offers some money, offers whatever for sexual favors. It gets out of hand. Again, a 12-year-old can't consent. That is rape. This person is a rapist. This person is a murderer. I think another situation where somebody probably knows more and they just haven't ever spoke up about it, at, maybe out of fear, maybe out of shame. Maybe they were a person that did sexual favors for money or drugs or whatever, and, and they're not coming forward because of the shame. Again, I think somebody knows something more. I think we're going to be lucky in this case because of the DNA mm -hmm. and by the testing that I think we're going to get answers in this case. And 100% agree with you on the Evans case. I think the, the intent probably was rape and murder, and they just never got to that because of his medical condition. But but it's sad. And again, there's three kids that didn't get to go on and, and create a future, and who knows what they would have become. And I feel very bad, especially in the Bellino case, because there's misinformation, I think, mm -hmm. and some kind of confusion, and that might just be because time passed and people misremember, but that has to be very difficult on his family because of there's three cases within a small location, similar profiles as far as victimology. There's a lot of good suspects. I think those individuals that we mentioned are probably responsible for a lot more crimes, especially when you're a young boy and you're molested. There's a shame and the reason why a lot of these boys don't come forward. And if you were one of these kids, you shouldn't be ashamed of this. It's not your fault that any of this stuff would have happened to you. And and hopefully you can seek out you know, justice or seek out therapy to, to get you through all that. But I mean, it's a, uh... yes. And with the Bellino case, I really firmly believe captain that the, the discrepancy and the stories only really remains in the public's mind. I think that there's clarity amongst the detectives and officers that invested, investigated the Bellino case in the seventies that remains with them and in, in their file. I think they have a pretty clear understanding of what happened that Friday and that Saturday, they just don't need to tell us all that information because again, that case is heating up again, 2018. They tell us, Hey, we're checking familial DNA. And it appears that that's continuing to this day. So they don't want to let a lot of that information out. So I'm very hopeful on that end. I'm glad that you brought up the van, the Don Templeman van story again, because one thing that I failed to mention with this Wayne Chapman character, and we mentioned his van, but I didn't give a description of such. The description of of his van is not terribly unlike the description, the very vague, broad description that Don Templeman provided to police and the media back then. And what's interesting about that angle to me is that I've been told a couple of different things. One, that Chapman, Chapman was fully on Boardman PD's radar at some point in the seventies or the eighties, at some point, it's hard for me to say exactly when he became or, or was on their radar, but I was told two different reasons why he was on their radar. One 
was simply that they were calling other jurisdictions and trying to find crimes that they thought were matching the ones that they were unable to solve in Boardman. The other version of that same story is that Chapman was on their radar because his van or a description that's very similar to the van that he was later arrested in was mentioned in the Bellino and possibly the Evans case. So that's really interesting there on that angle. I'm with you, Captain. I, I think that we we have similar thoughts and theories on this. I'm hoping others will provide theirs to us on the blog at truecrimegarage.com. If you have any information at all in any of these three homicides, please contact the Boardman Police Department. Their phone number is 330-726-4144. And I just wanted to give a quick shout out because, like I said, by covering this case last week, the information that has poured in. I, I just want to thank those people for reaching out, those local sources and people like Carolyn Bernardino and Tom Kerrigan for reaching out and, and being able to discuss the case in more details. And I just want to applaud them for their effort to keep uh, a spotlight on this case. Thank you so much for joining us here in the garage. For more True Crime Garage, check out our bonus show called Off the Record. It's exclusively on Stitcher Premium. You can find it by going to truecrimegarage.com and clicking on the Off the Record link. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful people this week? This week we are recommending Monster by David McGrath. So this is called Monster, The Life and Crimes of Wayne Chapman and the Machine He Fed. In the 1970s, young boys went missing at an alarming rate in the New England region. Parents and police were stumped by all of the cases of missing boys. Well, David McGrath, he spent years investigating Wayne Chapman and Wayne Chapman's friends in the circles that he ran in. And I highly recommend that you check out Monster by David McGrath. You can find that great title and many others on our website, truecrimegarage.com. Just click on the recommended page. Yes. Until next week, be good, be kind, and don't listen. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.